and um, what I've been through and the transition that's happening uh, for our family to Kentucky and John's family into the leadership role here, uh, the Lord has continuously taken me back here uh, in, in this, particularly this past week. So with that, um, as we examine this, uh, like the distraction you're seeing here, um, for me to deviate, some of you really know, you've been here 19, 20 years, for me to deviate away from the weekly study, because where we left off last week, that's where we pick up the next week, uh, it's pretty significant. And, and with that, I mean, we're all going to get something out. It's the word of God. It's going to teach us all. But if this, if this sort of hits you on the bullseye today, that, then understand that the Lord has gone through a great effort to cause me to deviate away from where I normally would be to be here today. And if it ministers to you, then pay attention to the fact that the Lord knew you were going to be here and, and maybe he had very specific designs in, in wanting you to hear uh, these things this morning. And with the distraction, I think you can already see how significant potentially uh, you know, the message is. You might walk away going, I didn't get anything out of that. I don't know. We'll see. So uh, we're in First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 22 is where... I want to pick up. So I'll just read through, and we're going to roll into the first three verses of chapter two also. But I just want to lay this out. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all speaking, evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. It's quite a passage of scripture, and there's a lot for us to examine within this. The first thing is that statement of sense you have purified your souls. Now, um, there is two parts in this idea. The first of which is the soul is the thought process and the seat of your emotion, okay? So, and that's, that's significant. It's important that you understand this as you move forward in this short passage and in all your study of the scripture. There's some confusion even inside Christianity about what is the soul, right? Because some people say, you know, have the idea that the soul is the spirit or 
even to the point of the soul is the body. It's like your whole person. And it's not. They're very distinct and very separate. So, so to get the idea of what the scripture is relaying, and, and it's important that you do this, right? Because you, you listen to the likes of Oprah Winfrey, okay? And she'll say, and, 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 and I mean, you got to understand how powerful an influence she is and people like her. She'll say things like, I am a child of God. We are all children of God. Okay, well, that's not what the scripture says. And this is really important because there's a lot of people who have been raised in Christianity and gone out into the world and went to college and back into Christianity and through churches. And now they've got a whole hodgepodge of belief system that they've mashed together and they label it all as Christianity. And they say there, that's, you know, that's a, the Bible needs to define itself. We, we don't get to just say, well, you know, when I think about God, I more think of him like this. Well, that really doesn't matter, right? You, you can think of me as six foot eight and incredibly handsome and you're profoundly wrong. You know what I'm saying? I just, it doesn't matter what you think of me. Reality and truth is reality and truth. Okay, so when Oprah says we are all children of God, that's false. Because the scripture says, right, that those who aren't in submission to the Lord, who have not been born again, as we read right here, of the incorruptible seed, which is of the word of God, which is from the Holy Spirit, that they're not children of God. Jesus, Jesus said that they are sons of the devil. So, so it's important to understand that without Christ, without the Holy Spirit described in the scripture, you are not born again and you are not a child of God. So the starting place, I mean, you want to make up your own religion, then you can just join many others who have done that. But if you're saying, I am a Christian, then your definition must come from the word of God. You, you, don't, you don't get to choose any other option. You know, regardless of what Scientology says, right, Dianetics is not the owner's manual to the human mind. The Bible is. And, and our soul is our, our personality, our person, uh, our thought process, and as I said, the seat of our emotion. So when we're reading this, and it says, since you have purified your souls, okay, your conduct might still be struggling, right? Your physical body, you might still be struggling spiritually to find yourself in submission to the Lord. But if you have submitted your soul, then what Peter is saying, now your body and its actions must follow. If you have had Christ's blood purify you, save you, sanctify you, then now the actions need to follow. The behavior needs to match that. So you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit, the spirit. Uh, people say that all the time, right? I'm a deeply spiritual person. I don't know how many times I've heard that. To which I say, are you born again? And very often they'll be repulsed by that. No, you know. They don't like born-again Christians. They think they're very spiritual. So then when I pick, and you've heard me say this a hundred times, as I look for the definition, what do you mean when you say spiritual? You say I'm a deeply spiritual person. What I come to 
almost always, I've never had come to anything else, is they mean I'm very emotional. And I don't mean necessarily unstable emotional. It means that they believe themselves to be very compassionate. They believe themselves, and I'm not saying that they necessarily are. They, they convince themselves, right? You know, I get weepy when I hear certain songs. <laughs> so what? You know what I'm saying? There are certain songs by Pink Floyd that still give me goosebumps. It's really ungodly. Right? You know, it doesn't that doesn't make a person spiritual. Being easily moved emotionally, even it's towards good causes, like don't kill the squirrel. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm just. <laughs> <clears throat> that which is spiritual is born from the Holy Spirit. That's what the scripture says. You say you're spiritual. You must you must be born again of the Holy Spirit or you're not spiritual. Not at all. Adam. Poisoned. The, the spirit that he had been given to death by disobeying God and eating of the fruit. And thereby, spiritually, he cursed the entire human race to death. We, every single one of us, and it's strange to say it this way, but we were still born. We were born as a soul. We were born as a body. But the spirit that God intended us to have, his Holy Spirit, was dead when we were born. This is why Jesus in John chapter 3 has to say to Nicodemus, you won't even see the kingdom of God unless you have been born again. You must be born of the spirit. This has to happen in your, in your soul, in your heart, in your, in your body, in your mind. And, and so here, as Peter is encouraging us with this, he's saying, you know, this pertains to obedience that you uh, uh, obey through the truth, the spirit in sincere love. That term love is agape. Right. And again, um, tolerance is like, you know, the mantra of our culture. You know, we're just having a discussion on the way here this morning, uh, Rebecca, Zach, and I, about how, <clears throat> you know, the, the profound sin that's in our culture. It's just the abuse of children and just the, the sick, depraved, murderous mind of our culture. <clears throat> and how the injustice that's going on about, oh, well, well you know, social justice warriors are going to, you know, this person, we can't really blame them. Look what they went through. Look how they were raised. Look at all these conditions. And so we'll give them a pass. Well, well what we're doing is uh, collectively it comes down to uh, I'm a filthy, rotten sinner, let's say. And now you're caught in your filthy, rotten sin. If I condemn you, then that means I should be condemned already. So what I'll do is I'll approve of your failures. And the unspoken thing is, thereby, you must approve of my failures. That's what our culture is in the process of doing. This, this act of tolerance, which they label as love, isn't love at all. 
It might be tolerance in that I tolerate your junk, you tolerate my junk, and we'll all just deteriorate together. That's what our culture's doing. Okay? And, and the horrible thing is this is now very strongly permeating the church. It's tearing the church apart. You know, as now everything is coming into question. Everything is falling apart. You guys, right here, when we look at these baseline things, we have to understand what is being said to us. This purification of the souls through obedience of the Holy Spirit in this sincere love is agape love. And again, that term sincere, uh, many of you are you know, versed enough to know that it, it, the real definition is without wax, sincerity. What was going on in the culture and where the word came from was that potters, uh, often in firing their clay vessels, would crack the pottery that had been created from the heat of the firing of the ceramic. And so they would take the clay and ground dust from the pottery and mix it together and pack it into the crack. And so now it's whole again, and they would paint it and put it up for sale. Well, you get home, right, and you start to use that, and the first time you pour something warm into that vessel, and it softens all that clay or that wax, and it just melts out the side. And, uh, you know, the potter wants to act like it wasn't like that when I sold it to you. Okay. So they started advertising. This became so common that the potters started advertising sincere pottery, which means without wax. This is whole, sincere love. No cracks. No falsehood. No covering up. So this purity of our souls in obedience through the Holy Spirit must be without falsehood in agape love. Not tolerance, unconditional love. Unconditional love is when you're a full-blown jerk and I really want to kick you right in the knee, um, and yet I see your need, I overlook that and serve you anyway from a love that Christ has given me. You've perhaps even wronged me directly. Okay, let's reverse it. I've wronged you, and you want to kick me right in the knee. And it comes down to you know what the Lord is calling you to do, and you obediently do that. You care for me as I need in the moment. You know, maybe you do find an opportunity to say, Will, by the way, you were a jerk to me, and we need to get that right. We need to fix that. Okay? But you love me anyway. That, that's, that's the unconditional love that Christ has given us. You know, the, the world teaches and acts like, I'm going to love you out of some deep sense of emotion. Listen, the, the best place to put this as illustrative is within marriages, right? Because when the relationship first begins, wow, it's deep, it's passionate, it's fiery. Five, 10, 50, 25 years later, you know what I'm saying? 
where you just see someone's expression on their face and you know exactly what's going on in their heart. Good, bad, or ugly, you know exactly what's going on in their heart. And you still love them. Why? Commitment. Commit. That's agape. Unconditional. I'm not talking about making them dinner with an attitude and a chip on your shoulder. I'm not talking about you know doing the chores and, and griping all the way along the way, muttering under your breath. I'm talking about recognizing my reaction here is sinful and I will empty myself of this and I will serve this person in the way that I am. So think about this, you guys. Here's Peter writing to the church who's being distributed all over the world through persecution, okay? They aren't saying to themselves in Jerusalem, you know what really needs to happen? We need to quit our jobs and just sell everything and move far away so that we can take the gospel to places that have never heard it before. That's not happening at all, right? What's happening, it's quite the opposite, right? You guys that have studied through Acts know, as the church begins, right, they're all hanging out together. They've sold everything, right? They're all helping one another, meals and singing and worship. It's like church and potluck every day. They've quit their jobs. Everyone's just enjoying one another's company. They're going to stay in Jerusalem and they're not going to spread the gospel anywhere. They become a church unto themselves. And the Lord just drops the hammer. The persecution. The Jews and the Romans attack the church. And they, they lose their businesses and they lose their homes and they lose their families and they're being murdered and they're being put in prison and so they run all over the world. And now that they've been dispersed, and they're in those communities, Peter is writing a letter to all of them and saying, since you've been purified, this is how you need to act. Since you're a child of God, this is how I need you to represent the gospel that has been delivered to you. In a sincere, unconditional love to everyone that you're you know, amongst and surrounded by. This needs to be who you are. Listen, you guys, that message hasn't changed for us. Is the world persecuting your faith right now? Yeah, it is. Right? Tremendously. We are being persecuted. They're kicking Chick-fil-A off on college campuses, you guys. <laughs> you, 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 know, you know what the number one fast food is? Amongst teenagers who are 14 to 19 years old, Chick-fil-A. By far, it eclipses McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's. Uh, collectively, all together, those other restaurants, it eclipses all of them. Right? From a business sense, why would you ever kick Chick-fil-A out? It doesn't make any sense. They're doing it because not only are the founders and the management strongly Christian, but they're taking strong positions against abortion. They're taking strong positions against LBGTQ community, right? They're taking strong positions in support of our nation, uh, the word of God. They hate Jesus Christ, thereby, by proxy, they hate Chick-fil-A. That's a small example, 
right? Think about all the other ways this is happening in your culture. Roe versus Wade overturned. Prayer returned to the public schools, you know, two weeks ago. All these are, and, and they are losing their minds. So it's time for you and I to listen to what Peter is saying and behave this way. This is what Peter is telling us. In the world where you are being gutted daily, this is how I need you to behave. This is how the Lord needs you and I to behave. And here's the thing I want you to concentrate on, you guys. He's saying this is how we need to behave with one another as believers more than anything. There is a message about the world in here and the gospel we preach, but it has more to do with how do we treat one another. Look at the church. You guys are a rare specimen because a lot of the church does not behave this way. A lot of the church is as worldly or more worldly than the world. It's strange. Strange that it is this way. So here he says that love one another fervently. The word fervently is very unique. It is in its strongest root, the sense, and he even talks about it, it's the sense by which a child, an infant, a newborn, desires to be fed his mother's milk. Right? You, you, you say, oh, it's a little too personal. Right, exactly. You guys, this is how much you should fervently, with a pure heart, do these things. And he's using the fervence again in regard to the appetite for the word of God in just a moment. The fervence that we have. No, um, you know, certainly as parents, uh, you've experienced it. You know, any almost all of us in this room, I'm sure, you're driving down the road and uh, the, the little person, you know, the babe wants to be fed and can't stop. You know, we're on the highway, we're doing this, we got to, you just, well, next exit sort of attitude. Uh, that little person is going to let you know how fervently they are in need. Right? They are going to ramp everything up dramatically. That is what the Lord is saying right here to us about our behavior, the fervent behavior. This is not a passive approach to the faith at all. This is the strong need. Listen, if you're experiencing this much persecution, uh, this much dispersion as they're being spread all over the place, probably your temptation is going to be to hide, right? To protect yourself, to get quiet, to get small, to, you know, once they've killed members of your family and driven you out of town, you're probably not going to have the natural tendency to show up in the next town and just stick your signpost out that says Bible study here tonight. Right? You might believe, but you're probably going to shrink. That's going to be your natural tendency. And Peter is saying, no, light the fire. Right. Let the world know. Raise the beacon and let people see what's going on inside your heart. Let them understand how fervently you love the Lord with a pure heart, having been born again. Right. So here's Jesus term being used by Peter. That's not a term that Christianity created. Jesus was the one who coined the phrase born again. You must be born again. Oh, those born again, evangelical Christians. Amen. You know, just, uh, 
Jesus freak right across the chest. Just, that's who I am. That's what I am. Let's go. That's what we need to be. That's how we each need to live. Born again, not of corruptible seed, rot. That's the corruption that he's talking about. Let's, let's be plain about rot. Right? Graphic illustration. As you rip the refrigerator door open, looking for some delightful snack, and that wave of nauseating rotten hamburger just slaps you right in the face as hard as it can. And you take a step back and maybe even let go of the door and say, there is something rotten in that refrigerator. That's the corruption we're talking about. Corruption that violates all of your senses. Right? Not corruption like, oh, that hidden thing that businessmen do way in the back rooms and in their dealings. No, corruption meaning rot. That is undeniable, right? I mean, if you just let the hamburger go on the counter until it had collected flies and then put it right out on the coffee table when the guests arrive, Talk about the elephant in the living room, man. They're not going to show up and, and just, I mean, that, at some point, somebody's going to say, i got to ask what's up with the hamburger, you know what I'm saying? Just this is what, why, why, are you aware? You know, what's that term? Nose blind? Have you just, like, what is going on? Why is this here? Corruptible seed. Rot. Undeniable, bold-faced, in-your-face, plain-to-see, obvious rot. You've not been born of rot. We were by nature. We were born with selfishness. We were born with sin. We were born as sinners, right? As cute as infants are, as much as we love children, they tell you right within the first few weeks how selfish they are. They don't care if you're asleep, right? Get up now, you know what I'm saying? And if you don't get up right now, they just continue to escalate the situation till you get up, right? And and yeah, okay, it's it's a biological, natural need. But what they're they're expressing to us all is this is what I want, this is what I desire, this is what I. As Christians, we can deny ourselves of those things. We may not, but we can. The strongest of even sinful urges we can resist. With the power of the Holy Spirit. In the flesh, you can't. You can't. You're going to always go back to those sinful desires. If we have been born again, then there should be a change occurring in our lives. Whether it was instantaneous, complete, whole, you know, all enveloping or not, there should be a change that is progressing. You need to be better today than you were a year ago. Five years ago, ten years ago, the, the progress of our relationship with the Lord must be changing us. Otherwise, it's insincere and it contains hypocrisy. There's a falsehood in it. And that's what he's cautioning us against. So not the corruptible seed, but incorruptible. And how? Through the word of God. Listen, I want to make the point right here one more time. So much of the church is infatuated with entertainment, and, I, and I'll, I'm going to get broad with that, 
mostly entertainment. And some of it, you know, calls it like the supernatural. Like we show up at church and it's just a fireworks display of constant supernatural coolness. You know, miracles and wonders and signs are happening every single service. Probably not. Probably not. That's probably hypocrisy, lies, and insincerity. Right? Those amongst that group that say, well, we just want our church to be like it was in the book of Acts. And then they tell you that what's going on in the book of Acts is that it was a constant display of miracles and wonders and signs. No, it wasn't. The book of Acts covers more than 40 years of church history. If you spread out the miraculous experiences of the book of Acts over the 40 years that it took place, you're looking at less than a miracle a year. Okay, uh, you don't have to go into any great explanation, but by show of hands, how many people in this room have seen miracles? Right? Various kinds. Marriages saved. Sicknesses taken care of. Right? Healing. Different things. We've seen miracles. Okay? If you take the average of numbers, it's very often about the same as it was in the book of Acts. There's a very natural sense of the supernatural. God working in the lives of believers. Leaving that alone and going to the other end of the spectrum is just raw entertainment, right? You have mirrors and smoke and light show and skinny jeans and amazing band. And, you know, it's just, it's like, you know, it's a show. Read Jesus Christ's ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John again, and look at the Go home and do it today. If this is at all offensive to you today, go home and look at it and see every one of the Gospels. Jesus says, I was sent here to teach. I was sent here to teach. And I must leave here and go over there to teach. And I'm going to leave here and I'm going to go there and I'm going to teach. And Jesus would arrive and teach. And Jesus went to the synagogues and he taught. Jesus' ministry and the focus of his ministry and his own confession about his ministry was, I was sent by my father to come here and teach the word of God. It is the teaching of God's word, right? Faith comes by what? Hearing what? The word of God. This, this is how we grow. This is life, you guys, when we're reading right here. I mean, not by corruptible seed, right? Entertainment is a load of junk. Right? I, I think that our worship team is great. I love to come in here and sing and worship with them. Love it. Not especially showy. Right? It isn't, it isn't some rock show happening here. But your heart with the Holy Spirit... And the music of leading is taking you into the presence of God many times. As I come here and sing and lift my hands, I forget where I am. I get inside my own mind and the Lord is dealing with my heart and I'm in the throne room. And the song ends and darn it, I'm back here, you know. <laughs> Worship of Jesus Christ is about the word, right? Jesus is the word, correct? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The Word is the significant thing, and it's going to be the thing that causes you to grow. 
If you don't have a fervent desire for these things, therein you have discovered the problem. The answer, again, is being born again and having the Holy Spirit lead you. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Word of God never changes. Oh, it was written centuries ago by ancient men. It's completely culturally irrelevant today. I don't think so. You need to go back and study the ancient cultures and see how unspeakably corrupt they were. And the word of God was delivered into them. And God, by his Holy Spirit, demanded of those cultures, conform yourself to my word. Everything that is written, oh, well, they didn't understand you know, marriage and men, and they're talking about women, and how can this, and this doesn't fit. Yeah, you're right, it doesn't fit. This culture. This culture is deranged. Out of its mind. Makes absolutely no sense. So violent. So destructive. We are not part of that. It abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass. And the illustration is summarized with that idea of the grass withers and the flower falls away. You know, when we were five, waiting one year for Christmas to come around was one fifth of our life. It's massive. You can't even, it's like, I got to wait a whole year? You know what I'm saying? Now that I'm 53 years old, I feel like I'm just putting the Christmas decorations away when, well, let's just take these right back out. You know what I'm saying? Because why? One year is 153rd of my life. It's a very, very small fraction. And we do experience it that way. As the years pass, a single year passes so fast. It's astonishing how quickly things go by. How quickly children and grandchildren grow. It's just astonishing. In this, you guys, when we're younger, we don't have an appreciation for that which is eternal. We don't, okay, we don't have as much of an appreciation. The word of God has never changed and it doesn't ever need to change. And if, and if you think it has changed, you need to come talk to me because I'll give you a very strong biblical history lesson about how the word of God has never changed. Never changed. Well, we, we, we have a very limited, I think it's, uh, well, let's go with the Odyssey of Homer. I think we have 23 copies. Uh, the human race has 23 copies of the original text. And they're dramatically different from one another because they've been copied a number of times and there are changes and things that were left out and portions that were destroyed. So we've compiled them together to say there. There are tens of thousands of copies of the word of God. Tens of thousands that we can compare to one another to compile and say, this is the entirety of God's word. And we have a massive gap of time that occurs right at the end of the New Testament writings until 1950s when they discover the Dead Sea Scrolls and then they compare what we have in English to those original texts and they're identical, unchanged. 
The word of God. Look, if, if God is powerful enough, if you sit here and in your mind, you're like, yeah, God is powerful enough to create the Bible. But then you say he's not powerful enough to protect and preserve it. Right? The things you have to consider, Voltaire, right, said, you know, the atheist said uh, that he single-handedly was going to destroy Christianity and the Bible and rid the earth of both the Bible and Christianity. And he passed away, and many years passed, and the largest Christian Bible publishing company in the world was in their new facility that they had purchased when someone produced for them the original deed to the property, and it was Voltaire's estate. He had passed away, and it changed hands a number of times, and this Bible society purchased it and, and had put printing presses in that castle, and they were distributing Bibles all over the world from that location. Those that make great claims against God's word find themselves battered to pieces upon that anvil. Christ alone and his word, eternal, unchanging, trustworthy. This is what we, again, a church that's being killed for their faith, Peter is saying, this is what you need to cling to. Men, you're going to the politicians, you're trying to gain favor, you're trying to convince them to change the laws in your town, in your community, to protect Christianity, do all these different things. Great, do that. But the thing that's going to preserve you is the word of God. That's what you need to cling to. That's what you and I need to cling to is the word of God and to let it affect us because it abides forever. All flesh is as grass, all the glory of men as the flowers of the grass. So even that which is beautiful and, you know, we, right, the lowly grass, the normal folks who admire, you know, the flowering grass that has a private jet, look over and think, oh, there's something special. They wither too and they die too in the same way you do. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word by which the gospel was preached. What word? What Bible? What what am I supposed to listen to? The one that preaches the gospel, right? Not the Book of Mormon. Not Mormonism. People get offended by that. Oh, well, they're good people, too. Well, here's the thing. Without without Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, are any of us good? They are without Jesus Christ and without his Holy Spirit. As an entire entity. The Jesus they worship, oh, I worship Jesus. They don't worship Jesus. They're Jesus. Uh, God the Father was sexually intimate with God the Mother. This is Mormonism. God the mother became pregnant and gave birth to two sons, Lucifer and Jesus. So Jesus and Satan are twin brothers, according to Mormonism. Because God is creating gods to run and rule over other planets, he gave the choice to Lucifer and Satan of 
how would you save the people of planet Earth? So Lucifer and Jesus presented their plans, and God the Father liked Jesus' plan better than Lucifer's plan, so he made Jesus the God of Earth. Lucifer was incredibly jealous, and that is what's going on on planet Earth, according to the Mormons, is that uh, these twin brothers are at war with one another. Lucifer is trying to undo the plans of Jesus. Is that the Jesus you worship? So, so when we're talking about the gospel, there's only one gospel, and that's Jesus Christ as God becoming a man, allowing himself to be ki killed, his shed blood, the source and symbol of our salvation as he was resurrected from the most powerful thing that could touch humanity, death, demonstrating sin and death have no power over me, and if you trust me for salvation, I'll deliver you from sin and death. This is our gospel message, and this is the only gospel message. So when he's saying, you know, the word, that, that's not also Book of Mormon, right? That's not also, Charles, you know, Charles Taze Russell, founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, his book, you know, the New World Translation. That's not that book. That's, that's, this is the Bible that you have in your hands that contains our gospel message of Jesus Christ shed blood for salvation. This is what Peter is telling them to concentrate on. Lastly, therefore, in light of all those things, I always say this, right? If there's a therefore in your text, you need to find out what the therefore is there for. Okay? Plain and simple, but it's very, very true. Sometimes we just read therefore, and then we cruise on. If you start in a place where it says therefore, you got to back up at least a little bit. My suggestion is 20 verses, right? If you're like, 20 verses? All right, I'll confront you. What was the last Netflix series you binged? Okay. You can spend how many days watching, I don't know what, you know, Iron Chef for, you know. I'm on season four, man. I don't know what that just if we can do that, can you back up 20 verses and discover what the text is? Keep that in mind. 2020, right? We say, you know, perfect vision or whatever. Uncorrected vision, 2020. You read a verse, don't understand it. Read 20 verses before it. Read 20 verses after it. Almost certainly you're going to understand the verse. It's a good rule of thumb, 2020. Within this, therefore, so you got to back up, read everything that was before. We've read enough to gain the understanding. Therefore, laying aside all malice, right? We convict people in our court systems based on malice. Evil is sort of the sense of thing, right? If there's a homicide, uh, we want, the one thing we want to discover was, was there hatred before this death occurred? Malice, a forethought. Were they thinking about this occasion before it took place? Uh, malice, evil, that sense of to malign. Here, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all deceit, hypocrisy, right? Uh, the two masks of the theater, you know, the, the smiling, laughing mask and the, the sad, mournful, crying mask of the theater, those were called the hypocrites, those two masks. Actors were called hypocrites. 
Not in a derogatory sense. It meant mask wearer. It's literally what it meant. In the, in the Greek theater, just we're almost at time, but I just want to get this for you. In the Greek theater, there was no amplification. They built a tremendous amount of money to, to build the curved amphitheaters so that the voice would carry out and they would project. And they often had masks all over the stage that had the different expressions. So as he says these lines, if he's going to be angry, then he would pick that, he would pick this mask, put it down, and he would pick up the angry mask, which was large, so the people in the back rows could see it, and there was a megaphone built inside the mouth. And they would say their lines, holding the mask up to their face, they would say the lines so that the whole theater could hear them. And so they would present the play, and he would switch the mask to the happy mask, and then the angry mask, and then the confused mask. They were mask wearers. So they would say to one another, hey, do you want to go see the hypocrites? Meaning, do you want to go to the theater tonight? And here, Peter is saying, don't be mask wearers. Right? Just rage in the cage all the way to church as you're just flipping out on your spouse and you step out and there's someone from church and you say, good morning, brother. God bless you. <laughs> Switch these masks up as quick as I can. Rock of, you know, hey, how are you? Good to see you. you know. <clears throat> that, isn't, that isn't to say, that isn't to say, if you're filled with rage, just be honest and go to church filled with rage. It's to say, do you recognize that right now you want to just flip the masks around? So you need to get rid of the malice and the deceit. So that there is no hypocrisy. So there is no insincerity. You need to be without the wax. Envy and all evil speaking. Okay, that's quite a list right there. To just go home and say, well, these are my responsibilities. Like, don't even try to move on in your Christian growth until you can look at that verse and say, yeah, I'm nailing it. Which means that's your list for the rest of your life. Because your flesh is always going to generate this. So you're going to have to wake up daily and say, there's the hypocrite right in the mirror. I can't believe it. Went to sleep and he just showed back up. Going to have to crucify this one. Daily taking up your cross to follow Jesus Christ. Daily taking up your lethal injection. The cross has just become this benign symbol. Right? Imagine if we were all walking around with electric chairs hanging on our necklaces. Right? It was, it was public execution. Imagine how offended our culture would be if your necklace had a noose on the end of it. What is that for? Because I have to kill my flesh every single day. In order to not punch you in the face. You know, just in order to be nice. In order to be something other than the fleshly, lying, deceitful, hypocritical, envious human being that I was born as. I've got to die to myself in order to live for Christ. And then here, here it is, as newborn babes desire, and that's that fervence, the fervence that was mentioned uh, back in verse 22. That's the same terminology, fervently 
We need to desire the pure milk of the word. Pure milk of the word. Pure milk of the word. Listen. Your study Bible's notes are not the pure word of God. All of the greatest Christian authors' writings are not the pure word of God. The best Calvary Chapel teacher's application and sermons is not the pure word of God. You need to open the book and read the word. You need to read it. You need to take it in. Unadulterated. Into your heart, into your mind, into your life. John Corson... Great Calvary Chapel teacher. Years ago, uh, I was a youth pastor, and I was at a pastor's conference, and I heard him say, "Every he was challenging us as pastors, every time you step to the pulpit, when you preach, your sermon should contain the milk, the meat, and the manna. And that just slapped me right across the face. That I can digest this and prepare the meat, which you've got to go home and chew on, Right, uh, The milk, the easy to take in, drink in, and be nourished by. But there must also be that which could only come from heaven. The manna. We need to desire and consume these things that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now listen, if you just heard me say that and you read that or you heard it before and, and you had it sort of like, nah, maybe I haven't. You know, if you have indeed tasted that the Lord is gracious. No, no, there are three conditional ifs in the Greek language. The, the first if is like our if, like maybe, maybe not. You know, this one is since. The other one for the Greeks was since you have not, you know, you know if you've got the ability to do this. The sense of doubting and negativity. This is not that it is the sense of sense. Since you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Look, if you've experienced the Lord, then you know he's gracious. If you don't know he's gracious, then you have not experienced the Lord. Maybe you've experienced religion. Maybe you've experienced, you know, church. Maybe you've experienced, I don't know what. But if you've experienced the Lord, then you know him to be gracious. And if you know him to be gracious, then you must be gracious yourself. Must be. You, you have to be. If, if you enjoy the grace of God, then you must be ready to give the grace of God. This is all through the scripture, right? We, we commonly quote the Lord's prayer, what we call the Lord's prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? And it ends by saying, you know, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me or sin against me. What if I'm not forgiving people? Am I going to be forgiven? No, because Jesus then tags that verse by saying, if you do not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. Graciousness. You can't be filled with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking if you are filled with the grace of God. If you're filled with the grace of God, then these things won't be part of your life. Well, how do I fill myself with the grace of God? Fill yourself with the word of God. 
The unadulterated word. You want to get a study Bible? Read those notes. Have a commentary. Matthew Henry is a very good one that I would recommend to you. There are dozens of ways for you to study God's word, but you yourself must open the word of God and read it. Let it speak to you. I read it and questions come up, right? Hold on to those questions until he has answered them. The word of God is a living, living. It will answer you. The absolute best commentary. Maybe you need to write this down. The absolute best commentary on the Bible you can ever get anywhere is the Bible. <clears throat> you study the word and the word will teach you about the word. It's alive. I, I would even go as far as to say he is alive. He's going to guide you. He's going to bring you. He's going to take you to the place. I was in Jehovah's Witnesses, just to sort of end this out this way. I was in the Jehovah's Witnesses with them for a year when I first came to the Lord. I wasn't ever really a Jehovah's Witness. I was studying with them. Came to discover that they were wrong and left, but their teachings plagued me for a full year afterwards. And the word of God delivered me. Hebrews chapter 1, particularly, delivered me from that whole thing. In particularly, where God the Father says to God the Son, you are God the Father. That's pretty remarkable, right? When God the Father refers to God the Son as God the Father. That puts it plain. Jesus is God. I had just finished reading that. I have this big Holy Ghost breakdown about, wow, and I'm like, now I'm like completely delivered from this whole thing and I'm just filled with joy. And I say, Lord, I would love to share that with other Jehovah's Witnesses and see them be delivered by the power of God's word. I say that and a car pulls up in front of my workspace and this woman gets out and comes in the door and says, hi, I, I'm so-and-so from the Kingdom Hall. I was just wondering if I could talk to you about the Bible. That's the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I just say to her, hey, before you say one word, I spent a year with the Witnesses, got my mind all messed up, spent another year studying on my own to get free of that. And just moments ago, the Lord delivered me completely from all of that false teaching. And my Bible's laying there open. And I say, from this passage right here in Hebrews. And she puts all of her stuff down and walks over and says, Where? And I show her and she says, oh, my word, I've never seen that before. This is exactly what my Christian aunt has been talking to me about for years. And she said, you won't believe the struggle I've been through in the past few days. And I said, oh, I definitely would. And she, she said, how do I become a Christian? I led her to the Lord right there as we prayed together. There's a carload of witnesses sitting just outside the window, waiting for her to come back. There's literally three Jehovah's Witnesses, elders, sitting right there, waiting for her to come back out. And I say, there are witnesses. Aren't you? You're going door to door right now, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I said, you need to leave all that literature here with me. She's got a big briefcase full of all their books. And you leave all that with me, and, and I'll destroy it. And you need to go talk to your aunt the morning in your Christian, and she's unloading her briefcase. Gives it all to Never saw her again. Our faith, our faith, working in sincerity, in our communities, in our homes, in our lives, you guys. This is what Christ is calling you to. 
You've, you've been sent out, dispersed to wherever you are. Let the Lord minister through you, right? To your home, to your spouse, to your children, to your coworkers, your fellow students, wherever Christ has you, that's your mission field. Let Christ use you in those places. Now do you understand why the squirrel showed up? Did you need to hear this this morning? Let Christ embed this in your heart and take you out into that sick and dying world to be his ambassador, his representative. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. God is good. God is gracious. You have tasted that. You know that. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray that you get the squirrel out of our church. Help us to be your representatives. Help us to be your ministers, Lord. Lead us into those conversations like the one I just described. Lord, we can force conversations. Some of us really like to argue. And it doesn't accomplish your will. But you open doors that no one can close. I pray that you would cause those things to happen, that we would be fruitful for you and your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless.